Greetings and salutations, Smack Addicts. Welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast, the only podcast on the internet covering the beginning of the Ruthless Aggression era. We started in 2002, we're going to early 2004, and right now we find ourselves in mid to late October 2003. I'm your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week on the podcast, I join you, the Smack Addicts, in welcoming a guest on the podcast. You know him, you love him from the Punchboard Party on YouTube. It's Daniel Pettibaugh. How's it going, Daniel? It's going great. What's happening, Matt? You I mean, get ready for some wrestling tonight? We're doing. We're going to talk about the one of the one of the best shows they ever put on a Thursday night or wow. Tuesday night. It's kind of the same thing. We're looking forward to it here. And Daniel, something I want to ask you right off the top before we talk about which Steven SmackDown this is. Does this episode? Does this feel like the beginning of a new era of SmackDown? I mean, partially. I I I, w- I would say I think I, I really I really get hangovers from like four months ago or so, like four or five months ago, like yeah. in their time, not our time, right. But, like, it feels like it just sort of, like, transposed a bit, like, when Paul Heyman was around, when Zach Gowan was around, when, you know, it's just sort of, like, so I I don't see it as, like, a new era in a good way. Okay, interesting. This is interesting to me. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I I think this episode is quite good. I like a lot of things about it, but I don't, uh, I I don't, I don't see these re-implementations of previous characters as, like, I don't see hope in it well <laughs> what a cheerful note to start this episode well we're <laughs> talking folks we're talking about the october 23rd 2003 episode of smackdown it was taped october 21st that was the tuesday before uh, it was uh, it, it aired for the pepsi arena in albany new york they were upstate new york uh and the tv rating this week they got a 3.6 and uh did that beat smackdown i'm sorry that'd be raw did it beat smackdown could it beat smackdown it's folding into itself daniel like we talked about before we got <laughs> on the broadcast folding into itself the universe folds in on smackdown that's right. That'd be cool. They're just like, there's one week, they're just kind of like, they just they do 15 Bashams matches. They're like, I don't know why, we just can't stop putting these Bashams on. We have to do it. <laughs> they just run the whole thing. Uh, it did not beat Raw. Uh, not this time, at least. Uh, and uh, let's talk about last week's episode, and we'll get into this one. There's a lot to talk about, and it's very interesting, and uh, there's at least a couple things that I, I know that you don't, Daniel, that I'm excited to share with you. Well, I, I'm video. excited to be shared with. Uh, so Daniel. You heard if you didn't share. That's right. I, as always, I love sharing with you. If I could just give you, if I could give you some chips right now, I would. If I had any with me, I'd just be like, I'm just give this man some chips. I would do it. Oh, those like pretzel things you like that are like uh, the buffalo chicken flavored. Buffalo bites, man. I'd, I'd share those with you, even though I wouldn't have them. You would have. You would share them with me. That's like my my, my daughter will often say. Yeah, you're sharing my, with me constitutes me having something to share, so that I share with you. Okay. That's literally what my three-year-old daughter says. I want to share these with you means I want you to give them to me, which I like. Right. It's endearing. The freedom of children to just crawl onto your lap and just eat from your plate yeah. is like equal parts infuriating and delightful. <laughs> Nothing in life made me more confident that I love my children than when I willingly gave them food I want to have. That's right. I'm like, oh, I love this person. That's why I'm giving them. Like, I'm just like, it's like the best bites. I'm like, you should have some. I like you. You're, you're, a, you are a person I made and forced it's, into this it, world. It, it's the, it's the proof that evolution worked. Evolution is a mystery. It's full of changes no one sees, except for children, which you can't see. So, in last week's episode uh, of SmackDown and on this uh, SmackDown Six podcast, it was not SmackDown. It was No Mercy 2003. Kurt Angle beat John Cena, but Cena was quite popular with the fans of Baltimore. Also, Eddie Guerrero lost his U.S. championship to the Big Show. Vince McMahon beat Stephanie in an I Quit match when Linda McMahon threw in the towel, which is not how that kind of match can end, but okay. Uh, so Stephanie is no longer the SmackDown general manager. And Brock Lesnar defeated The Undertaker in a biker chain match, whatever that is, to retain his WWE championship. That is what happened at No Mercy 2003. Does that, does that, uh, does that make sense to you, Daniel, based on what you saw of the show? 
and the video just, packages therein. Just as I remember it. Ah, uh, yes. When it, those fine, those halcyon days. Oh, this, this is one you had on v, on DVD, right? Yeah, man. DVD. DVD. Love it. Uh, so let's talk about this episode, this week's episode of SmackDown. What the good folks in Albany, New York, saw that week, especially before SmackDown here. We're talking about some dark matches to start off. Uh, we have Ryan Sakota defeating the not-yet-glorious Bobby Roode. And, wow. Mm-hmm. He's on his way to TNA shortly, I assume. I I mean it's still it's still I don't know when did he show up there he was there for a while he was definitely a world champion there too if, as far as I know oh yeah um, but uh, I'm not totally sure when uh, when he would have gone there I am in fact going to go onto the internet right now though and find out for sure so his first time well you, you know what Daniel Ugh, you're 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 right and I knew this because Bobby Roode was in TNA as part of Team Canada in 2004 okay and so he's like uh, he's less than a year away from starting to be around there a bunch. And doing that sort of thing. I also I don't know how consistently he was around there. It seems like he was around there for quite a bit. So um, you're right, and I'm wrong. And uh, I wasn't really wrong. I just didn't really know. So that was, that's <laughs> right, also I mean, Don't be so hard on yourself, Matt. Yeah. Now, Sakota, Daniel, Ryan Sakota, you actually saw him on SmackDown tonight. Oh. Yes. Was, was, he, was he one of Tajiri's henchmen? He was. We'll talk more about that later. Also, a dark match. Mortis defeated John Walters. Uh, Mortis is Chris Canyon, of course. Oh, the, you, you mean John Gunther's? <laughs> well done. I applaud that. Good job. <laughs> Why is that such a simple joke? Such a simple joke. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Have you ever thought about what we would like? Okay, you're you're in, in NXT as Daniel Padapod. What do you think you would be if you went to uh, WWE main roster then? Daniel Why Padapod. fish monkey? Obviously. <laughs> I think you'd be like Nicholas Lapite or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that's it, what you would be. It'd be something. It'd be like it'd be like uh, uh, Prince. Let's just call you a prince. Okay. okay. Just Velveteen Dreams gimmick just ripped off and made more obvious. That's right. I had a dark, I had a dark thought today, and I'm going to show this with you right now. Velveteen Dream made, a, you know, his he had his uh, his gimmick was being prince. And then uh, there were some questions about uh, whether or not he was uh, sc- scheming on uh, younger guys uh, right. who were under the age of consent. Uh, he should just come back, but instead of prince, you should do the Michael Jackson gimmick. I'm going to leave it there. Um, and then, see, okay, the thing about the, the NXT to WWE main roster name, that's actually a different joke than the WWE to TNA thing or the impact thing. Because the thing would be like Daniel Pettipa, you would be named Peter Danielson in yes. TNA. I would yes. be uh, probably Vincent Matthews or something like that. Like that would be the main. Yeah. Um, well, no, I always like, thing is yeah. like, I would get my start in the independence as yes. Daniel Pettipa, then I would go WWE. And become Peter Danielson. Yeah. And then I would go back to something like AEW or whatever. Yeah. And then I would be back to Daniel Pettipa, where everyone loves me again. Yeah, I think that's good. I like that. It works well. Um, John Walters, by the way, who the victim of that great joke, Daniel said, he's a former uh, Ring of Honor pure champion. There you go. If it was a piece okay. of information you need to know. I always like explaining when like indie guys aren't just like some guy named like Joe Schmuck who lived in like Indiana for 18 years. Right. Um, giving that context. So let's talk about Velocity. On Velocity, Orlando Jordan hit a uh, kind of an ne- interesting neckbreaker on Shannon Moore to get the one, two, three. But it's like a neckbreaker still, too. So I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> right, right. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Paul London and Spanky beat Mike Taylor and Rob Begley with a fun combo. So uh, Spanky uh, and, and Paul uh, Paul London are buddies now, or uh, Paul London was on SmackDown a couple weeks ago. And so what they did. So you know, like a downward spiral where you like you grab the guy and you kind of drive, drive him down? Yep. I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of gesturing to Daniel, but if you don't go do Google downward spiral, folks, if you don't know that flatliner is the same thing. So Spanky gets a guy in the flatliner, but before he drops him, Paul Lennon comes up and hits an insecurity on the guy in the back of the head. 
And then from the back of the head, he drops them backwards and they just downward spiral. It's a good combo. Okay, that is a good combo. Yeah. I like that. I like the, the strike drop kind of thing or the strike strike thing. It works for me. I, I, I'm a fan. I like that. These guys are good. And then we had a segment, Daniel. I always love a segment on Velocity. On Velocity? Yeah. Oh, they're up in their game. Yeah, so the APA found Paul and Spanky in their office. Where they were drinking beers and smoking cigars because they got the first win in WWE, so they're very excited. It's not Spanky's first win, but it's Paul London's. And Spanky's like, he's acting kind of drunk. Like, he's just kind of like, hey, guys, what's going on? And so Bradshaw Farouk threatened them, but then they kind of relent to make Spanky and uh, Paul London chug some beers. Uh, okay. And they're lightweights. I think at one point, Farouk's like, you got to work hard to get somewhere WWE. You can't just sit here and drink beer. And it's like, they just want a match. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> they're doing the hard work thing. Short of them, like, taking down the ring at the end of the night, what else do you want them to do? <laughs> That's exactly what they want them to do. Yeah, exactly. What a pain in the ass those guys are. And then there was a big six-man main event on Velocity where the FBI beat Rey Mysterio, Billy Kidman, and Ultimo Dragon. When oh. Ultimo Dragon, he, Ultimo Dragon tried for his flipping reverse DBT thing, but he got shoved into Chuck Palma's super kick and he got pinned. So Ultimo Dragon continues his uh, oh, it's rather rather sad. Uh, I don't remember him being on SmackDown being this sad. Like his, I was like his Ultimo descent. Oh my gosh, there's just nothing to this. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing happening for him at all. Uh, that's depressing. Anyway, this, it was like the six-man main event had like had like twelve minutes or so. It was like a long match. They actually had some okay. time to actually get in there and do it. So it's a good stuff. A surprisingly decent match there, probably. I watched the whole thing. So Daniel, let's talk about this week's episode of SmackDown. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. I would love to do that with you. Do you think we can do that? Would yes, do Daniel. We can talk about SmackDown. Let's do it. So we begin SmackDown with a video package that borrows a lot from the one we saw at No Mercy. Detailing the Stephanie Vince feud and the match between them and No Mercy, which culminated in Vince choking Stephanie. And Linda throwing the towel to save Stephanie because it was technically an I quit match. Although that was all over the place when they were talking about it earlier on. Um, I think that was Daniel. That one had all the the, uh, the different voices. The little girl being like, how was work, daddy? Right. All those sort of little. Yes. 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 It was terrifying. Yeah. It's pretty creepy. Pretty creepy there. How do you feel about. Uh, I mean, I mean, kudos to the logic here of the, the psychology in this kind of feud. While I don't love the end result is like, it's creepy. Like, it's like, you made me do this to you. Yeah. How could you make, I loved hanging out with you and spending time with you. And yeah, it you seems like it all horrible. It's like domestic abuse kind of like co-opting that language, which the more I think about it, I'm, I'm way less comfortable with right. in some ways. It's like you wrote on yourself and you're like, eh, I feel like uh, horrible men do that all, say that all the time. Uh, how do you feel about like, OK, an I quit match. So Vince was choking here. It was Stephanie in an I quit match, which if there's one thing you want to do in an I quit match, it's not work the throat, right? You want to make sure the person has the ability to speak. Although in this, my experience with I quit matches is that typically the referee has a mic and you have to say, I quit into the microphone. Yeah. It's not what happened here at all. Um, but it feels like, it feels like you shouldn't be able to have the towel thrown in on your, someone on your behalf in an I quit match. Like it doesn't like that. It just seems like anathema to the very idea of an I quit match. Well, don't you think that a towel thrown in sort of supersedes match stipulations like oh, now we're getting somewhere interesting with this this like, is interesting would, to me. like wouldn't wouldn't the towel also work in an odq match wouldn't the towel work in like isn't that just pure surrender like just like you've done your damage i'm rescuing this person but someone does it for you but it's for their life i mean that's weird. i guess that's, i guess that's the nature of having a manager right so, and that's what, like well stephanie had uh, Stephanie had her mother come to the ring, like accompany her down to the ring. So I guess we can kind of assume from that, that there's like at least some sort of like formal element to that, where formally that means it's that Linda 
uh, can do all sorts of X, Y, Z things on her behalf. And so I guess it's like, because she's a manager, she can quit on her behalf, maybe. Okay, this should make more, dang, let me make this make more sense. Okay, I'm starting to forgive this. I'm glad, I'm glad, honestly, because it's like, okay, well, at least I feel more comfortable. Like, I could argue that and be fine with it, right? Where it's like, because essentially you're saying, like, what if when people had managers, that mattered and meant something? And it's like, well, yeah, that would be, that has to make sense, right? That, that, that makes all the sense in the world. Although there is a point where you're kind of like, everyone should have a manager because they're, they're very helpful. Yeah, yeah there, there's lots of things going on. Although you created a compelling character when everyone has a manager and somebody doesn't. That'd be fun. That'd be fun, too. And they're like, do you want me to talk to somebody for you? You're like, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't need anybody. I'll kick it out. I'll kick it all out. Uh, and then we get the I Want It All rap intro, which is unchanged since last week, which I was surprised by because Stephanie's still featured in the intro, despite not being Smash Mouth's general manager, and that's like a very key point of this whole show. Stephanie's right. still in the intro. Uh, and instead of Pyro, we start immediately with Vince McMahon's entrance music and out struts a jubilant Vince McMahon with Sable on his arms, uh, his arm rather, and we are live to tape in Albany, New York. And so Vince gets on the mic and he talks about how he beat the snot out of his daughter and shoved his wife to the mat. He says he doesn't mind. He knows where he's going when he dies. He just <laughs> offers. He just offers that. No one questions him. Like, what? Uh, how do you? What about the eternal consequences of your actions? He's just kind of like, I'm gonna go to hell. Like, okay. I'm proud. I'm, I'm still. Really. I'm still healthy. I still got a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I bet I'll still be wrestling at WrestleMania in 20 years. Yeah, I'll still, uh, I'll still be punching footballs into people's midsections. That's right. Uh, also, Vince says he celebrated by having sex with Sable. He kind of obfuscates it, but the no, the, the no, no. Thing. He didn't say that, Matt. He, he said, <laughs> "You know the expression: spare the rod, spoil the child." I didn't spare the rod either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. He makes that kind of joke, and it's great. Uh, but then he says, even more that Stephanie being unemployed. The better news that Brock Lesnar remains WWE champion. And he, uh, Vince alludes to the help that Brock got at No Mercy in the biker chain match when the lights went out briefly, when the FBI guys ran out, when Vince came out and helped him. And he says the biker chain match was barbaric. And Brock was a pro wrestler, so he shouldn't have been in that position to begin with, which is fair because they, the one of the main conceits of the Vince Stephanie match was that she made the Undertaker match happen, and she was was the reason why it became a biker chain match. So that at least makes sense that Stephanie was kind of the reason that that happened. So Vince turns to the task of assigning a new general manager to SmackDown. It's funny because for months, like for the better part of a year almost, really, uh, Vince has alluded to the fact that, like, if Stephanie leaves, Vince Sable would take over. Like, instead, like she said, and we've all kind of understood it. And so he's like, I'm going to sign a new general manager. And then he turns to Sable. He goes, you know, apologies to you. I, you. You have other jobs in mind for you. She's like, okay. It's like, oh, that would have been, <laughs> yeah, yeah, could yeah, it yeah. been interesting. I, I thought it over, and you would be a terrible general manager. Yes. I would rather have you as, uh, you know, just a one-woman harem, really, is the goal. I guess that's uh, right. That's right. Concubine. That's and, the word I'm looking and, for. And, and ideally, a multi-woman harem, if you could right. get some friends. Right. Some sister wives action here. It's a little bit pre uh, the LDS uh, sister wives TV show and everything like that. But I mean, I'm sure he'd be down for it. It's interesting. So uh, Vince is Vince alludes to the fact that the person he picked is someone that if you spend too much time with them, you'll want to strangle him. I know he's he, coming now. Did you have any? Did you know before? No, no, like, no, not before I started watching the episode, but it, right. it became it became fairly clear fairly quickly. 
Right. He, he's not exactly subtle about it because the person he is making the SmackDown General Manager is one Paul Heyman returning to WWE to be the SmackDown General Manager. And so uh, Cole and Taz, they're shocked. I think the last we saw Paul Heyman, I believe, was uh, getting attacked in a cage by Brock Lesnar, if I'm not mistaken. Or Kurt Angle. Okay. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> I think Brock Lesnar beat him up. Right. Hard to remember that. It was a while ago. We've pod- A lot of podcasts have happened since then. And so Paul Heyman comes out, and uh, I don't know. He, he used to have this like specific kind of like ECW music. And this is similar, I think, but it's not exactly what it is. Right. And so Paul gets on the mic, and he barely gets to say anything before The Undertaker comes out. And so out comes the dead man, and, and Vince leaves the ring. He escapes through the crowd because Vince directly interfered in Taker's match this past Sunday, kind of making it clear that Taker is here to ha- take issue with Vince McMahon and the actions uh, of what happened there. Uh, and so Taker gets on the mic. He is upset. And Paul Heyman gets to the mic. He says, look, I can help. You know, I can make a match tonight for you. Uh, it'll be you against Brock Lesnar and Big Show. And Taker doesn't love that because it's a main event between the, you know, he's a handicap match with two enormous dudes. But Paul Heyman says if Taker wins, he can make any match he wants to make. And so, I mean, that could be anything, right? I mean, he could be, he could do a uh, Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit Braun panties match in theory. We could just make that match exist. Um, he could use my Iron Man ladder match thing where you just like have a fall hanging above the ring and every time you grab one of those, you win a point. Um, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think what... <laughs> could he challenge Triple H? Yeah, that's a question. I mean, you'd have to think there'd be like Paul Heyman can make any match he wants within like the things he's able, like, he's allowed to do. Right. Um, certainly, yeah, it certainly seems possible. But uh, yeah, what if he was just kind of like, I want to see Orlando Jordan face Matt Hardy. Right, 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 right. That's what you want? We'll see if he gets that later. But he has to beat Dane. He has to get, he's got he's to face a handicap match with these guys. It's not going to be easy did, there. Did your heart sink a little bit when Paul Heyman said Brock Lesnar and the Big Show? I had a little hint at what the card was beforehand. Oh, okay. uh, And, uh, yeah. No, it's good. Big Show's won me over. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. So Undertaker gets on the mic after hearing that bad news. Bad news slash good news. You have a huge uh, obstacle in front of you, but if you can get past that somehow, you can. I'll let you do something else. And so Taker says that Paul Heyman's mere presence in the ring is the equivalent of someone taking a crap in his yard. Big crap. A big crap in his yard. Yeah, I mean, Paul Heyman's not a small guy. That that makes sense. Taker says uh, Heyman's plans will backfire because, you know, Taker's going to win and he's going to get his revenge. Um, Although it's funny, he says backfire, but Heyman, uh, you know, despite the circumstances, has, has pitched this to him like it's a good thing. So there's yeah. no backfire involved. He's like, look, I'm giving you an opportunity to do it. He's not saying, like, you won't do it. Nah. Right. He's been pretty clear about it. I think it's, you know, I don't know about that taker. Well, well, uh, well it, yeah, it's a great it's a great character flaw in Heyman that he, like, believes his own bullcrap, you know? Yes. He, yeah, he, he's full of it, but he seems to not be aware that he himself is full of it. You'd have to do, you'd have to do a lot of work to have him, like, admit that. Uh, and so Michael Cole talks about how Taker's taking on the U.S. champion in Big Show and the WWE champion in Brock Lesnar. And, you know, we talked about a, a bit on this the last episode when uh, my brother Will here, Paramount's Darling, was here. Um, but, Daniel, do you know why Stephanie was written out of SmackDown like this? No, I, I can only think that it was to make room for Heyman. But... Oh, sure. Well, I would love to tell you why. And I'm going to read to you from uh, from uh, what, this. Is, I'm trying to think, can I get the sourcing on this? I don't know what the sourcing on this is. This is from a, a wrestling. A quote, oh, here we go. Yes, this is figure four wrestling from. Uh, March 11th, 2000. Oh, sorry. My gosh, stupid dates. Of course, it's not March 11th. It's from November 3rd, 2003, Figure Four Wrestling. The wrestling world officially changed at 4 p.m. on October 25th. That's two days after the show. 
um, at St. Teresa of Avila Catholic Church in Sleepy Hollow, New York, when Paul Levesque, a.k.a. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, tied the knot with Stephanie McMahon officially uh, married. Into the, there it is. The most Michael was a groomsman in that wedding. That's right. Um, the wedding itself went off a hitch. Nobody ran off the altar screaming. Nobody played a video of Stephanie getting drunk and married against her will in Las Vegas, and nobody brought a snake to the reception. Everyone forever held their peace. The only interesting thing of note was that Paul that was that Michael Hayes got smashed at the reception and started singing a saucy rendition of some song. And Linda McMahon eventually had to take the mic away from him, thank him, and tell him to sit down. And allegedly, Michael Hayes said, "Once a free bird, always a free bird." <laughs> That well, that is uh, that. honestly, uh, I think that's you know what I think that's probably the second most interesting newspaper clipping I'm going to read to you guys this episode. We'll tease for later. I got a little something else for you there. So Stephanie was written out. Stephanie had this cute, horrible fight with Vince uh, on Sunday, and uh, six days later, I presume he walked her down the. I don't know if he actually did, but just that that's what happened. They did this yeah, big I think, horrible I think he feud. Did. There, there, yeah, there's there's clips of it in uh, Triple H's documentary. There you go. So that's why Stephanie's gone. So they, because I guess they might want to get married, give her some time off. And uh, I mean, she doesn't really show up much for the next few years anyway. Uh, maybe she wants to travel with Triple H. Also, yeah, so way, easier Triple to do. H is written off. Although, but I think he's world champion at this point too. So I don't think really? so. I mean, the, the other thing too is that I remember uh, reading some backstage information about SmackDown in 2002. And I think Triple H was backstage often. And at one point he like talked about, he like, he, he, like, talks to the SmackDown locker room. was like, you guys need to really compete. You need to really bring your A game. People were like, shut up. Bring out Triple H. Like, go away. Like, go go on Raw. Like, don't tell us what to do, you dumb guy. Um, so that was the whole thing. So there we go. That's Stephanie and Triple H. They got, they got hitched two days after the show, and that's why uh, Paul Heyman is back with us. So coming up tonight, Los Guerreros are going to defend the tag team titles against the world's greatest tag team in a match that's definitely going to happen. Right. That's right. Right. Um, I love your promises. Yeah, thank you. I will say, uh, I said on a recent episode that Shelton Benjamin was injured and off the rest of the podcast duration. That's obviously not true. Right. Shelton Benjamin is around. <laughs> I don't know why I thought he's, that on my way off. He's around. Uh, and then so John Cena comes out to the ring. He's wearing an, an Oklahoma State Barry Sanders football jersey. And he briefly mentions that Kurt Angle beat him on Sunday. And he should congratulate Kurt. But that's not a style. That's a loser move. So he doesn't do that. Right. His little rabbit's dead. And so instead... We get this pretty big match here. It's John Cena and A-Train going up against Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Yeah, this was a cool surprise. It was like, I was yeah. excited for three of the four people in the ring. That's good. Absolutely. Uh, A-Train, the referee. The thing and... I could think about during this match, Matt, was yep. what does it feel like to smack your forearm against a hairy back like that? What does it yeah. feel like to grab someone for a suplex when their fur tufts are tickling your nostrils? Man, That's all I it's, can think of. it's a lot of physical intimacy between people that you don't know, or at least That's you're not great. that close with. You're like, That's you just, that's very little jobs you're going to be in that situation. I guess other athletes and stuff, but really, it's it's quite surprising. Uh, so, yeah, we have A train and Angle start off here, but uh, Cena comes in shortly after, and then John Cena hits a uh, Michinoku driver on Kurt Angle, which I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Truly, why not? Uh, Angle gets a big German suplex on A train, which lets him tag in uh, his former tag team uh, cha- champion. With him, uh, Chris Benoit. And so Benoit runs wild. He's German suplexes A-Train. He tosses Cena high in the air with the back body drop as well. Uh, then uh, Benoit gets a, a sharpshooter on Cena, but A-Train easily runs over and clobbers Benoit to break it up. Which makes sense. A, a sharpshooter, all it does is keep you standing with your arms to your side as someone could easily kick you in the face. And that's what yeah. happens. Yeah. 
It's easy. Uh, it looks but, good when you get kicked in the face like that. It's true, but you should know better. Or at least duck. I want to see one time just kind of somebody like, oh, oh. <laughs> Didn't get me on that submission breakup there, genius. He submission on while he's just like swiveling his head. Yeah, just just side. moving. It's like Muhammad Ali in the ring, like just dodging punches. That's right. I'm doing an impression of it, guys. Just okay. If you want to imagine, just close your eyes and imagine somebody kind of like just dodging punches, That's but looking right. smooth about it. That's what he's doing. What was uh, it called? They had a name for that, like the Bop and Rock. The oh, the the. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone yelling at their thing right now. Uh, it's rope dope, right? Am I right? Rope dope. Yeah. There we go. I don't think I don't think I think rope dope is more like you're gonna hang out with the ropes and they like you let them shake, take big swings. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know what, Daniel? I believe that's what you're thinking of. <laughs> I believe but that I for sure. What I'm thinking of. There, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, Benoit tags an angle, and A Train is recipient of an angle slam. Uh, and then John Cena tries to get involved, but he gets an ankle lock for his trouble. Then A-Train bicycle kicks angle to get Cena out of it. Another submission broken up by a guy just kicking the other guy in the face while his arms are occupied. Right. I, I was always disappointed when I heard that A-Train's move was the bicycle kick because all I could think of was Luke Kang's bicycle kick from Mortal Kombat where he oh, yeah. across the whole screen. Going, it's a slight... um, and that doesn't yeah, happen. It doesn't. He should do it at least once to WrestleMania or something like that. Just to be just to be good to us. It would only make sense. But then, but then it would be a Claymore kick, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Well, he doesn't have a countdown, doesn't count, so that's fine. Uh, so John Cena goes for his chain in the corner. He has this chain within there with a lock on the end, and so he, he wraps his fist with it. The referee sees it, and so A-Train, uh, he takes the opportunity to try to cur- hit Kurt Angle with a chair, since the referee is busy with that. But Benoit gets in there, and he takes the chair away. And so he takes the chair, and he swings, and he misses A-Train, but he hits Kurt Angle in the back. And Kurt is unimpressed by Chris Benoit's tag team partner hitting him with a chair. So he swings the chair at Benoit, who ducks. But then Angle and Benoit start to tangle, and then Benoit gets a crossface on Angle, and the referee calls to the bell because it's a no contest. I liked, I like this. I like that, and then we just the the heels just kind of go away. Yep. And you're left with the feud that we've always wanted to never end. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's one of from I'm like, okay, if you want these guys to wrestle again, fine, sounds good. Let's do it. Like, I don't, I'm not mad about it. I think that's totally fine. Uh, the referees run down. They break the tag team partners up. Uh, Kurt manages to get through them, gets an ankle lock on Benoit before Benoit escapes from this thing. I don't remember what they do with this, though, to be honest with you, right? Because we're on our way to Survivor Series. I think they end up on opposing teams at Survivor Series, the main idea. Okay. Or, or maybe they're on the same team. Survivor Series. Are we, are we in another, like, uh, crazy long stretch of Survivor Series? No, no, no. It's okay. end of, end of uh, I think we, this is one of four shows leading up to Survivor Series, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Sweet. If that's, we're, we're leading up to pretty quick. Maybe we're going to be on the same side, and it's going to be a whole, like, can they get along kind of thing, which I'm fine with. It, it, that works fine with me. And then we have, Daniel, we have the WWE Slam of the Week. Slam of the Week. Slam of the Week. I bet you it's not a slam. It is not a slam. It is brought to you by Subway, but it's Tajiri spitting black mist into Nidia's face. I, I, I love now. how Michael Cole and Taz really talk up this like, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been sprayed with green mist before, but I know, I've never gotten the black mist. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> well, we find out the black mist is, uh, I don't know what, I don't know if it's, it's motor oil in it or something like that. There's benzene in it. If there's uh, black tar heroin in it or something, there's something in this substance. Yeah, but which leaves Nidia blind for a prolonged amount of time. Cole and Tessie, yes, Nidia still does not have her full vision. I don't know if she's at 99%. She's still got to like clean some gunk out of there or what. And so then they throw, and I love this, they throw to a message from Jamie Noble. This is so good. This is so good. Jamie Noble recorded a message on his webcam, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, it's so funny they would. Do, this is like it's it's totally the equivalent of like recording it on your phone, but back then. So Jamie Noble is sitting at his computer, 
and clearly they're doing a regular like camera thing here and they're just adding like a webcam kind of like juddery effect to it right it's just hilarious like it's really funny <laughs> and then so but jamie noble's there and he talks very seriously about how nidia likes to be on the computer she can't use it right now and doctors are looking at surgical options for storing nidia's site Surgical option seems really extreme. <laughs> that's right. Like, we're going to do eye surgery on? Like, that's so, like, we're going to go in that's there. The like, I, I'm all the way man. here for this whole angle, man. I'm just, like, edge of my seat. I love yeah. this stuff. But understandably, Jamie Noble, he threatens to Jerry. Uh, and then if you look behind Jamie Noble, there's a dog in a chair. And there's also some 8x10 photos of Nidia and Jamie Noble. And it's funny. Like, it's pretty clearly, like, a little production area made up to look like a bit of a home. But it's fine. I mean, that's what they did. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, okay. I, I I was bought in. I was just like, oh, this is the, except it wasn't a, it didn't seem like a trailer to me, which is right. Well, yeah, because he, I think he talked about getting a double wide trailer when he was cruiserweight champion, but did he move up to a full on house when he got all this money? Oh yes, these are the questions. Yeah, he might we be need, like we you asked about here. The backstory of Jamie Nolan. Or I wonder, would he get a big house or he just get like six trailers? Oh, I mean, I I assume six trailers. I think that would kind of be more his jam. Uh, and then we go from a, a webcam message uh, to the world's greatest tag team. They're in a locker room. They're talking about how Paul Heyman is back on SmackDown. And Paul Heyman shows up. He says, wow, Paul Heyman is back. Really? And he says the world's greatest tag team are actually the world's greatest liars. Because when Heyman was taken out by Brock Lesnar, he got no call from Charlie Haas. No call from Sheldon Benjamin. And he says they are out of the match tonight. So I don't know if his match was made earlier before he was announced or what, but he said, you know what, whoever decided that before, it's not happening anymore. It said the Bashams are going to take your place. And so. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I mean, yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much an I guess sort of thing. You're like, all right, if that's what we're doing. The, the, the sure. commentary team does a great job of trying to convince me that because they beat the APA at No Mercy. I mean, yeah, that's. This. That's actually not a bad use of the fact that that match actually happened. Although the APA versus the Bashams was not exactly the uh, the peak of things at that pay-per-view. Right. As you might recall from your DVD. Uh, and so the World's Greatest yeah, Tag Team... Did. Yeah, the World's Greatest Tag Team will get another match, though. Uh, they're going up against another tag team, one that is reforming, one that was entertaining, and that match is next. So I'm interested in that. There are some things that happen before that next thing, which is first we have Vince McMahon, who is in a skybox in the arena with Sable... Uh, and so they say hi to the little people in the crowd, and that's it. They're just establishing they are there. Right. I, w- I wonder if anything like confrontational will happen up there if they'll just sit and watch in peace. I mean, we've already seen Sable get into like a straight up fight with Stephanie in the luxury box once. So I mean, really, I mean, <laughs> Sable should be looking over her shoulder here. That's right. They're gonna they're gonna broadcast where they were that whole thing. Is Stephanie uh, we, getting ready to get married or what? Yeah, maybe she's around. Who knows? And so we take a commercial break, and when we come back, uh, there's a video package honoring Stu Hart, who at this time in 2003 had died recently. And so there's clips of, of Stu Hart with his sons. We get some shots with Stu. Uh, there's a shot of Stu Hart with Shawn Michaels and Brett, of all people. That combination of people. Kind of surprising wow. in 2003 to see that. Like, all right, that's a choice. Uh, there's also a shot of Stu getting hung by Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho, probably from 2001 when they were in their kind of main event feud with, uh, with um, uh, Austin. And so, yeah, we got a pretty nice video package for a guy being honored who uh, not that connected with WWE currently, but obviously played a pretty big role in a few lives of guys who are on the show in the past. Mm-hmm. So good for Stu. I like that. Um, and so now we have the match, the world's greatest tag team going up against someone. I guess we'll find out. 
Uh, now, Daniel, what did you think of the world's greatest tag team? Their new, uh, their new attire for when yeah. they come out to the ring. They're, they're, they're walking down to the ring gear. Yeah. I, I thought it was weird. It was a yeah, little it's baggy no for my liking, but that's fine. Yeah. They're wearing these big, like flowy basketball shirts and track pants. They just look like they look bad fully, like full stop. They look bad. It's also just a huge step down from velour track suits. Like we know what they can look like. Why would you not just get those in a deeper red and a little bit of silver on it? Yeah. Instead, it's just pathetic. It's definitely like clear that they sort of uh, creative has lost some interest in this tag team. Oh man. Well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe those are just on order and uh, we'll have to wait for them to have something better than the, the flowy basketball. Like, this, it's just like, this just looks like what they wear to the gym. Like it's like, <laughs> so do you got your gym clothes, your matching gym clothes? Did you bring those? It looks like they were rolled into like Valley village or the Salvation Army. And we're like, we need two big shirts that are the same. And we had two big pants that are the same. Can you help us in any degree? Today we dropped two things off once. So sure, something in the back. Here, um, here's from the Mr. or Mrs. There we go. Uh, so tonight's sponsor, we get uh, Taco Bell. Take outside the bun. Uh, the Hulk on DVD, the Ang Lee Hulk from 2003. Hey, now that's a, if that's not a smash hit, I don't know what it is. Oh, man. For, uh, you know, until recently, one of the worst uh, Marvel movies there was in terms of performance. And also, this one surprised me here, Fisher Price. Like baby stuff, essentially was being advertised. It surprised here. me too. I was like, "What? What's Mac gonna say about these sponsors?" Um, I've heard oh, about the PG era. Something about a baby. This is fun. The, it, it's the G era now. They can't even. They can't even really fight. That's right. That's Not right. fighting because fighting hurts. At least ouchies. Yeah, ouchies are no good. Can't have that. Uh, and so the world's greatest tag team's opponents are Rikishi and Scotty Too Hotty. Hey. Did you? What did you think of this, Daniel? This cut you off guard. I mean, yeah, like I, I, I was genuinely intrigued. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like who's, who's entertaining? I was kind of going through my little Rolodex, but like my this era of wrestling's not super at the ready for me. So I was kind of sure. like, I hope it's the Road Warriors, but that obviously was a bad call based on what we find out later. Did you actually think it was the Road Warriors? Well, I wondered. Amazing. Sorry, just be, we're gonna we'll talk about more later in the episode. But was, in addition to Stu Hart's video packages, also wrote video package for uh, the Road Warrior Hawk, who is dead. So yeah. Daniel found was hoping it was the Road Warriors, and later in the episode found out, oh, that couldn't happen because uh, <laughs> Hawk died of having I don't know an enlarged heart or something like that. That's right. Or, so listening. Bad, bad, bad thought exercise. It was funny. <laughs> you're like, you're like when the special general manager was announced, like I was Stu Hart. Let's go. <laughs> Do you think everybody else died? Major died in 2003. Probably some big people did. Uh, I mean, I hope, it's, I hope it's Saddam Hussein. Now it's 2006. Oh, wow. I remember that. It was the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Scotty Too Hotty went. Yeah, Scotty Too Hotty was out for a year and a half because of a neck problem. And uh, I like this. One of Scotty's last matches before he left uh, was Albert and Lance Storm against uh, Randy Orton and Scotty Too Hotty, which is a very weird sounding match nowadays. Okay. But uh, the back when Randy Orton was just a young, scrappy lad. And I like before the match, the world's greatest tag team, they do a good job of just staring at Too Cool uh, with this like deep confusion in their face. They're like, what is <laughs> this? Who are we facing? Why is this happening? Is this a thing? And so Scotty Too Hotty, he starts off with Charlie Haas, uh, getting in some arm drags and some dances. Uh, and Chill Benjamin trips him up mid dance, so the world's greatest tag team gets to go on the attack. Uh, Cole and Taz talk at length about how Scotty Too Hotty might have a lot of ring rust. Um, but uh, like Scotty Tuhati has wrestled in matches like not on TV since August, so he's not actually as uh, rough as they might think. Right. 
Rikishi tags in and he runs wild, clotheslining both members of the world's greatest tag team and getting a big Savak kick. Uh, but then Rikishi gets super kicked by Shelton Benjamin, though, and that gets a count of two. So Scotty Tony comes in, he teases the worm, but Charlie Haas immediately foils that. But then Scotty gets another shot at it, and it's W-O-R-M. Woo, woo, woo. And he bang, he hits Shelton in the face. And uh, Rikishi in the corner gets the stink face on Charlie Haas. Ha, we missed that. A man putting his butt in your face. I mean, you know what? There's some things in the world that I can't live without if I know they don't happen. That's one of them. Well, I'm glad that you have a reason to live, even if it's completely bizarre. That's okay by me. Uh, and so Shelton Benjamin goes for a sunset flip on Rikishi, but Rikishi just sits down. Uh, usually guys <laughs> escape this, but Shelton does not. He just gets dropped. He gets, and I don't know how you do this in wrestling. That's the thing I don't understand. So how do you drop down on a guy where not all your weight is going on them? Is he like, is he bracing with his arms? Are you holding up a little bit? Because it seems like he's just dropping down. Right, right, right. I think, butt, I think you take it by and large. I think it's mostly something you just... You just receive it and you go, I hope he's I hope he's on the lighter side of 500 pounds today. That would be ideal. So that's it. That's it for them. I, like, I, like, gets I like the finish to this match. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, at WrestleMania, there was a few finishes where I felt like they were abrupt. I felt like they didn't really match the other things we were seeing in the match where it was like, oh, but you just kicked out of something far worse than that. Why did you not kick out now? Things like right. that. Whereas this just fit. It was like, Oh, yeah, that's a really big man. He just squished you. You're done. That's fine. And I like when sunset flips just don't work to the nth degree, where it's not not only did it not work, but, like, it cost you the match. It's kind of fun. Right. I do like that. I mean, anytime you have an opportunity to be like, ooh, you uh, you reach for the star is a little too much there, buddy, and you get destroyed. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we have a, a, our slow-mo replay of the worm after the match. And then Scotty Tuhati in real time here, he presents Rikishi with a kind of fedora after his match, which I think Taz jokingly calls a sombrero. And we get a, a full dancing segment with Pyro and special lights, but the Pyro only lights up three of the ring posts, Daniel. Uh, see, Pyro game was off, man. They, they borrowed the Pyro from the fist, and then right. the fist was angry, and so cursed the fourth post. That's it, man. You don't want to upset that one. It'll, it's a big problem there. Uh, now, of course, while this dancing is happening, uh, we see the skybox. That Vince and Sable are dancing to the music, and it's very goofy. Vince is very into it. Uh, he likes it, even though he's a bad guy. He's dancing in the face of music. And uh, then we hear some security guys yelling out in pain because the Undertaker's at the door of the skybox. He has beaten his way to Vince McMahon. Right. It was very nice of the Undertaker to wait for uh, Sky Tuhati and Rikishi to be done their dance for barging into the room, though. This is good. Yeah, I thought it was nice of him to do this. <laughs> like, here we go. I think Vince, at one point, he, like, waits. He waits before... There's actually the Undertaker's there. Like this is kind of this funny moment where he's like a bit early for his cue, I think. Yeah, um, well, th that happened at WrestleMania too. Yes, it did. That's Austin right. This past year's WrestleMania in real life. Acts like, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Oh man. So uh, Vince uh, is grabbed by the lapels by the Undertaker, and the Undertaker calls Vince a pathetic, gutless coward, mostly for what he did to Stephanie, and he also says Vince pays quote that slut Sable to sleep with him. Yeah, that was that was like a bit. Shocking! I, 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 it took me aback. I was like, "Wow, that was out there." But I guess was that a was that a thing that I could have said about women back then? I don't know. Well, I mean, apparently, if you're the American badass, you definitely could. The dead man could say it. Apparently, uh, yeah, bit, bit intense, bit much there for that. Um, so Undertaker says, "You know, if I lose my match tonight, I'm gonna come up back up here, and I won't be taking, any, I won't be doing any talking then." Which is like, okay. I mean, I do like these trying to be he's like, just gonna sit. He's just gonna sit. I might lose." 
tonight. And it's like, ah, maybe we should try to win. I don't know if that's just, you know, that's an idea I had if you could do that. Uh, Taz says, so much for security. He is stable at Just Vince and checks on him after being uh, harangued by the Undertaker. Are you okay? Of course you are. Mm, there we go. I'm glad you keep. Yeah, this is good. I mean, you're catching those uh, those gentle moments, Daniel. That's good. Great. Uh, we get a look at the homepage for WWE.com after No Mercy 2003. And Cole, thanks to fans for watching No Mercy. It's always a treat to see the the, the WWE.com homepage. Uh, you know, I think that you don't like even when uh, things on the internet are uh, are saved for posterity. It's rare you get like the full. Uh, the full front page of something. Uh, so it's nice to see that there. I think that there were, uh, um, there was an anti-marijuana ad uh, on there. And there was also uh, a headline saying it was Mr. McMahon's night, which is generally true. That's right. It worked out the way he wanted it to. And uh, when then we go to the back, we see that Eddie Guerrero is being tended to. He's particularly his wounds from where he was smashed into some glass by Big Show last week on the show. Yeah, uh, they look pretty nasty. It's pretty rough. The show later on, Daniel, uh, what happened there, and it's pretty intense stuff there. Uh, were you on the podcast for that? No percent? mercy out of those wounds. Not intentionally that I can recall. The the, the back was worked, and it was like a, it was very much like a thing, right? Uh, but I don't think that it was like uh, acted upon quite that like oh, like intentionally. I would say because one thing that I found weird was that like they showed highlights from the SmackDown, but then they didn't show highlights from No Mercy. Yeah, and whereas I think I assume that's like a stipulation with like the pay-per-view companies or however that works that That, yeah that weird those weird arrangements yeah exactly uh now it's weird because since wwe has their own network or whatever they show clips from pay-per-views all the time right i think that the other thing too is that like there wasn't like the real like (laughs) the real violent uh like 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 tv friendly in terms of like looking intense thing happened on smackdown more so than the paper the paper he just lost right Right. Um, not the same as, or not as intense as the other one there. So, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, Eddie Guerrero, like he's getting, he's getting attended to. And Travel comes in. He tells Eddie that uh, he needs to buck up and get focused on the WWE tag team titles because they're going to defend them against the Bastards right now. I believe Chavo tells him we have to, we have to defend it for our family, for for our grandma and all these other people here. Like, kind of get you getting your head in the game, Eddie. Which is kind of funny. It's like you know, he's getting, he has a wound. He's like a, a a wound from glass. Like he's not being a baby about it. Right. I think it's reasonable to how, you know, try to get. How did Eddie lose? Like, was it a clean loss? Or oh yeah, the the whole the whole kind of uh, explanation for it was essentially just like Cole constantly being like, "Oh yeah, man, Eddie's in he's in rough shape, man. He got destroyed there. That was rough, man. Like, right. oof, no good." Uh, and so it's like, okay, they kind of try to explain it that way, which I think is fair. And so we have our, our next match here. Los Guerreros are going up against the Basham Brothers for the WWE Tag Team titles. Like Los Guerreros are defending their championship. Uh, Michael Cole says that Paul Heyman liking the Bashams makes sense. And when Taz asks him why, uh, Cole just says uh, sexual fetishes. Okay. <laughs> and then Taz is like, whoa, easy there. <laughs> yeah. Like, like he knows some secrets or something that Cole is like, dangerously close to a covering or something right like what are you what are you getting to there um now Los <laughs> like, you, know, you know who likes sexual fetishes <laughs> paulie that's right oh man uh yeah it's not really endearing himself to the new the new boss there um los guerreros they have a bit of a, they run to a bit of a snag here they're trying to drive down the aisle there's like uh they kind of like trip up their car a little bit there or like they don't really get over like a little bump or something just say, i think what catch that but yeah yeah which is a funny thing um, it's, I think the funniest thing is like, cause they're clearly, they're trying to pull it up right by the ring, but they kind of like, don't quite get there until they're like, they have to go like, they just stop at one point. 
It's always funny. They run into vehicle issues on these shows, right? That's the, the issues they have to deal with. And so we see footage from last week when Big Show smashed Eddie and his, and, uh, his uh, I was going to say car. It's a truck. He just put, he puts him into the uh, the roof of the truck there, which is brutal. I mean, it was such a bad. Uh, so, were you with me on that show, Daniel? Was it I you was. Together? Yeah, that was. I mean, that was just a great. We liked it. Great smash. It was fantastic. I thought it was really really good. Uh, and I uh, the blood just pouring out of Eddie's arm, which just added oh. a nice touch to the whole thing. It was amazing. It was like so legit. And it's also one of those things where you're just like, so do you do you suggest that to Eddie? Where you're like, and then you'll get you'll actually kind of get cut up by the car because you'll actually have glass in you. It's like really. Is that how do you? I don't, I don't know how that stuff comes up because it's one thing to be like, okay, you'll be in a match with this guy, and it's a whole thing. It's another thing to be like, yeah, you're gonna get um, violently hurt, uh, well beyond what the expectation is on your day in and day out. That's what Deal? Yeah you, you, yeah, you good? <laughs> okay. oh, yeah, and we're taking the U.S. title from you. Are you still good? <laughs> you're getting your ass kicked, and then you're also gonna get humiliated and taken away. I hope that's okay with you. And so Eddie starts off against the Bashams. He tags in Chavo. They combine for a snapmare dropkick combo. And they do a, a helo jumping sensing combo on the Bashams, uh, on a, a Basham. But, uh, you know, you kind of get another sense of the Bashams being young in the, in the business here because he's out of place. Eddie does his helo, and then he's kind of like on his side. And then Chavo comes in for his rolling senton. And uh, Chavo just lands on the guy's side. Like he's just kind of yeah. like, well, if he's not going to be there for me, then I guess I'm just going to land on him, I guess. Like, that's yeah, that's and, probably and rough. And when Chavo rolls over the ring, he kind of like says something to him as he's passing by. Like he's Really? Like, oh, I love that. He's like, Okay, buddy, figure it out. <laughs> Head in the game, man, probably, right? Like, it's being like, come yeah. on, get, let's get to it. Um, yeah, I, did, I did like those helo combos. There's another helo coming up that I really enjoy, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Shaniqua grabs Eddie's leg when he's near her side of the ring, and, and she, she kicks him in the side of the head when he ends up outside the ring here. And so that leads to this extended segment where the Eddie is getting double-teamed by the Bashams, which I guess is, you know, usually Shaniqua's the one getting double-teamed by the Bashams. Uh, Eddie gets, uh, he gets his, he's running up the ropes, arm dragon, head scissors combo, which is, which is great. Uh, and he gets a hot take to Chavo, who runs wild on the Bashams. And so Chavo gets this kind of uh, jumping, spinning tornado DDT for two. But then he gets hit with a big flapjack by the guys afterwards. And, so, and he breaks up the, an attempt at the finisher for the Bashams. They're kind of like a clothesline and ru uh, Russian leg sweep combo. Uh, shortly afterwards, Eddie gets three vertical suplexes and he goes for a frog splash. But Shaniqua grabs him by the ropes allows the Bashams to switch spots. It's this big, like, oh, my gosh, the they're switching spots. Oh, my gosh, I can't they believe do. it. They always got the better of This ending sequence was interesting. I'm excited to talk yeah. to you. Bro. Yeah. And so the Basham, who's in the ring, also has a nightstick. Uh, if that's the best way to describe that. I mean, Shaniqua had it. Uh, so now yeah. he's a nightstick. So Eddie goes up for the frog splash. He does the thing where he rolls through. Essentially, he's like, okay, I'm going to come off the top rope. Okay, you're not actually going to do that. So I'm going to roll instead of doing a frog splash. And so he rolls through his frog splash attempt, and he gets up, and he gets smacked by the nightstick. Then he's covered, and it's one, two, three, and the Bashams win the tag team titles. Los Guerreros lose tag team championship to the very green Bashams. Yeah, I, I, I was shocked at the title change here. I mean, it makes yeah. sense for kind of where they're narratively going, so it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. The world's greatest tag team made more sense in my mind to drop the titles to in terms of like a watchable right. tag team. Yeah, um, the the Bashams showed that they weren't really ready for it, just in some of the mistakes they made during the match. So there's that right. stuff. Yeah, but then this whole end sequence, like it was like it made Eddie look smart because I interpreted like Eddie kind of realized something was afoot, and so he like rolled out, then jumps out, gets it with the night. But like the nightstick is obviously just some rubber stick. It makes this like smacking sound. Like if somebody <laughs> hit somebody in the skull. 
Yeah. With an actual nightstick as hard as Eddie was hit in that sequence, his skull would have been split open and his brains right. would have flew and covered Shaniqua's <laughs> breasts. It's, I mean, of all places to hit, that's probably where they would, would have landed. I, it is one of those, it's one of those, one of those wrestling things where, like, they hit these weapons. I mean, it's exactly like the uh, friggin', uh, the, the, the sledgehammer. The sledgehammer, exactly. So you can't do a sledgehammer. That's, you're gonna, you're gonna crack his head open. You're gonna, like, truly just, like, you have a watermelon. Are you insane? Doesn't make any sense. Yes. So, yeah, so he gets that there. Just like WWE endorsing murder in their matches. That's right. Yeah, the the, the, the spots next week are gonna be murder. It's gonna be one of them. Fisher Price will be the other one. And uh, <laughs> Fisher Price murder. Yeah, and then Too Fast, Too Furious, or something like that. Um, uh, something happens here that never usually happens. Josh Matthews comes out to interview the Bashams after their victory, and they don't look like they know what to do. They don't know. Like they look, like they don't know how to celebrate. They don't know. Like they just leave the ring, almost forgetting their championships, and then right. they're just like. Well, they never had him before. Right. Well, okay. There is that. <laughs> but there's a, it does, there's the vibe of kind of like, oh, we didn't tell him this was happening after the match. Maybe you should have told him. I don't know. Uh, and so Shaniqua says it's, it's you know, it's time to celebrate. And Cole says, he's not like, and like you know what that means. And we're like, we get it, Cole. Okay. That's their whole gimmick. We get yeah. it. We're going to go somewhere and go to town on each other. We understand. Oh, my gosh. When you say uh, it like that. Well, I mean, that's that's the uh, I speak the unspoken thing sometimes, Daniel. And so, our our beloved Eddie Guerrero, member of the SmackDown Six, he goes from being a double champion with the U.S. title and the tag team titles to losing both in four days, which is really two days, Sunday to Tuesday. It's kind of a rough go for this guy. Yeah, man. A guy who I like to see, and hopefully, there's something good for him in the future. See, this is the thing where, like, I know Eddie, like, things work out for Eddie eventually, but like, I don't know what happens between now and like Royal Rumble. Well, yeah, like, but I wonder if they're getting there, right? Like, that's. Yeah, the Chavo thing, maybe. I thought Chavo, I think they had a Chavo thing later on. I thought Chavo was a little too hard on him here, honestly. Oh, yeah. I I mean, it's a tag team, Chavo. Yeah. Like, come on, man. And like, and like Eddie was smart. Like, like it's it's not as though he just let his guard down and then got pinned. He got smacked in the face by a nightstick. Yes. There should be a thing where he goes like, oh, you didn't know this. I got hit in the face with a nightstick. And then Chavo goes, what the heck? That's terrible. We should go talk to somebody about it. I was like, yeah. You have a general manager here. You can talk to them Get a, if you want to rematch. That's right. That can be a whole thing. I think it makes sense. And so, yeah, when we take a break, we see footage during the break. That's where Chavo left Eddie in the ring, a- angry with him here. It doesn't feel like a full heel turn, though. It's not like sometimes you do these things and it's very clear uh, yeah. what they're definitely doing. But this is not a, it was, this was not a case where it's, it's like, okay, we are, we're in the end game now. This is the heel turn. Not quite yet. Uh, and so next up here, a match which doesn't seem that consequential, but this is a very important match. <laughs> it's Tajiri against Zach Gowan. It's a non-title match because Tajiri is the Cruiserweight champion. Right. And this is a fairly important match, surprisingly, because this is Zach Gowan's final appearance on WWE television. That's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's all she wrote. How many matches has Zach Gowan had? On the TV, I think seven. Yeah, like not very, like he's been on TV quite a bit, but as far as like hmm. in-ring competition. Yeah. No, it's true, 100%. Um, he's not been are around that much. It, are you going to read us a newspaper article, man? Uh, I am. After the match, absolutely I will. I uh, mean, okay. and this, here's the weird thing, too. Uh, Zach Owen beat Matt Hardy in a very fluky way on Sunday, and then he's facing Jajiri now, and that's it for him. I don't know, because part of me is kind of like, why, why did it end now? Right, when you're starting to actually get some... Well, not get somewhere, but you're just doing something here. Yeah, well, well I feel like this is the first time that Zach Gowan is in 
like No Mercy, I guess, would have been the first yeah. time that Zach Allen is in competition for his own sake. And he's not just like a foil or a pawn or like. Yeah, more or less, more or less. I think that's the, I think that's really true um, that he's doing like, OK, we did it twice. That's enough. I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, they're fine with it. Otherwise, like, they don't need it. Uh, and so yeah, this match is mostly Jerry kicking Zach around. And Zach gets a bit of offense. Um, Zach misses a mood salt. So he gets kicked by Jerry. That gets the one, two, three. Did I miss anything? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, no. Great. Perfect. Thanks. There we go. Book it. Uh, and so after the match, Tajiri calls to some guys in the crowd. And it's the two guys from Suits and No Mercy. Now, No Mercy, some guys like ran to the ring. And Cole and Taz are like, oh, it's some fans. It's like, they're wearing suits. Can we? They don't, people don't wear suits to wrestling shows. It's not the 1950s anymore. All right. Speak, so. speak for yourself, Matthew. That'd be great. I was, you know, I thought about the two where it's like, okay, I don't have like a wrestling shirt, but if I was like on a WrestleMania, like, what would I wear? I think I would just try to look dressed nicer. Right. I was dressed nicer than everybody else. They wouldn't dress like formally, yeah, but I'd like, oh, I have like a nice would, shirt you on. Buy, you would buy a shirt when you got to the venue. I don't have $800, Dan. I'd come on. buy you a shirt when we got to the venue. How about that? I'm trying to think what shirt I would get. Well, and I would get not, They're not 80 or $100, Matt. <laughs> sure. Maybe. Or I would get, I'm trying to think, how would I go? I, yeah, or you know what? I'd probably hit it for a couple of thrift stores beforehand and see if I could get like an NWO Wolfpack one or something like that. Oh, nice. nice. Just get some old school cred. You'd want an American Nightmare shirt. Come on now. I'd wear I the problem with an American Nightmare shirt is that if you wear a shirt with like a skull with an American flag on it in Canada, you're giving off some serious vibes that are cool <laughs> in some parts of the country and super uncool in the rest of the country. Right. You're maybe you're maybe telling people a bit more about how you felt about this whole COVID thing and how you feel about <laughs> protests that's, and things of that nature. That's super interesting. It's like, no, he's just a cool wrestler with like bleach blonde hair. It's fine. Yeah. If it wasn't the American thing, I might be like, oh, he just like it looks like Matt likes some guy, like some MMA guy or like I don't know, he likes some comic book or something. But in this case, it'd be kind of like, ah, Matt, I don't know, I don't know about him. Maybe don't talk to him about uh, how many red hats he owns or anything like that. Uh, so these guys, these guys in suits, are brought into the crowd uh, from by Tajiri, and Tajiri uh, he sicks them on uh, Zach Gowan. They do this kind of double STO on him. I think it's the best way it I would describe it that. Good, I liked it. I liked right. it. So, okay, just to be clear, you thought that looked good? Yeah. Great. I agree, but there, somebody took issue with it, and I'll tell you about it in a moment. Okay. Uh, also, kind of mean to do a move with a double leg sweep on a guy with one leg. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, if there's ever been overkill, it's a move with a double leg sweep with two guys, and this guy's got one leg. That seems a bit well, much. That's, see, that's the thing, though, is, like, every time I'm watching Zach Gowan, I just want his leg to get swept from under him. Like, that's just... That's just what I'm looking for. Because I'm like, it's there. It's just there for the taking. Do it. Just do it. it. He truly will have no leg to stand on after that. Like, easily. Oh, my God. Easily. Uh, So now, Daniel, I want to do a little bit of he said, they said with Zach's release from WWE. So here's the thing. Something I want to make kind of clear. So this is his last match on television, his last appearance. He doesn't get released until February. So we're going to talk. So I I got two to start off here. And so I've got one uh, from an interview Zach did in 2004. A little bit later yeah. on, 2004, uh, in an article from Pro Wrestling Torch, one of the kind of kind of the quote unquote dirt sheets, like Wrestling Observer, Figure Four Wrestling, um, that uh, that came out right when he was released, the day he was released, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, I understand. So they they paint two very different pictures of the situation. So okay. first, from OnlineWorldOfWrestling.com, from July 7, 2004, an interview with Zach Gowan. So the interviewer asks, I'm going to read this verbatim. How did you find out that WWE was letting you out of your contract? Zach Gowan says, I got hurt. Daniel, sorry, Daniel, I just want to draw, pay attention to the details of this, okay? Because yeah. I think there's, there's some interesting differences here. 
Zach says, I got hurt and I had to take some time off to recover, which would be around here because he has no more matches after this. When I recovered, I called the office and asked if I could go back to OVW to begin reconditioning. And they said, no, we'll call you when it's good to go to OVW. I thought that was weird. They didn't call me until late January when they told me I had a meeting. And that's when I knew the writing was on the wall. I had a meeting with Jim Ross and Johnny Ace, a.k.a. John and Laurinaitis. And that's when they let me go. So he says he got hurt. He says he wanted to go back to OVW. OVW was the developmental territory at the time. They weren't. It wasn't like NXT where they're at, they're uh, televising it. This is when you went to developmental, you disappeared off the face of the earth for a little bit, except if you were in the Ohio Ohio Valley wrestling arrangement there. Daniel, any any initial thoughts off of that perspective from from uh, Zach Gowan? So yeah, no. So I'm just yeah. I I, I don't know enough. Like he I, got hurt. He wanted to go back. They said no. He said no. Nah. Maybe they were already done with him. I guess is what you could take from that yeah, a little bit or, there. Or just, I'm just wondering, did he get hurt in this match? Like, is that true? Like, when did he get hurt? What? That's what I'm trying to figure out because I'm like, okay, well, if he got hurt, I was like, well, does he have any house show matches after this? He doesn't. So I don't know. Is it something that happens in this match? Is it something that stems from something else? I'm not sure. But I've got a much more interesting uh, thing to write, uh, read to you right now. Okay, and, uh, I'm into it. Try to keep the uh, in, in my insertions here uh, as little as possible here. This is from February 4th, 2004. Sorry, try and keep the what? Me, my, like the things I'm saying into it. I want to try to give you the exact okay. information without me being like, oh, the details and stuff like that. Uh, this is Wade Keller from the Pro Wrestling Torch, February 4th, 2004, the day Zach Allen was released. So this is like the day they announced it. He had an article ready. I don't know how that works. Uh, and so Zach Gowan was originally believed by WWE to be a huge marketing opportunity because he lost one of his legs up to the hip of the young age due to cancer, yet he was such an agile wrestler, WWE felt it would be mainstream media bonanza to sign him. It didn't work out that way. Gowan didn't make noticeable dents in the ratings when he finally wrestled. He didn't. He also didn't draw much mainstream media attention. The Pro Wrestling Torture reported late last year that Gowan was not popular with other wrestlers backstage. He was aloof and rubbed wrestlers the wrong way. At first, he was said to be trying a bit too hard to prove he fit in. Eventually, he developed what several WWE sources told Pro Wrestling Torch was an attitude problem, which I'll just say, you know, back then, I thought that was good attitude. <laughs> that's right. Well, no, now you don't need attitude anymore. You need ruthless, ruthless aggression. aggression. Yeah, that's true. That's the problem. You had attitude at the wrong time. Okay. Zach's an immature kid, but not a bad kid, said one WWE insider. And there's a, another quote here from right around uh, the episode, last SmackDown's episode, I believe. Zach was at SmackDown tapings at these SmackDown tapings last Tuesday, but he wasn't written into the show. And some believe it's due to, because management didn't want to give him any TV time to further inflate his ego. There's already talk. This is back in this is this is like around this time here. There's already talk that Zach will be let go at the end of his contract because it's becoming clear he's not dedicated to getting better. He has an ego problem that perhaps only time away from the spotlight might cure. And flat out hasn't been the crossover media star that WWE management initially anticipated. Plus, the crowd response to him hasn't been strong either in most arenas. Many wrestlers were not eager to wrestle him because they felt it eliminated any credibility for them to engage in even back and forth exchanges with someone without one of his legs. And so this is where, yeah, this is also interesting here. Last October, which is when the time period we are talking about right now, October 2003. Zach didn't show up when Zach didn't show up for his scheduled practice sessions at Ohio Valley Wrestling, WWE's developmental system. He lost a lot of standing with Vince McMahon. The perception that he felt too good to have a practice his craft ended much hope management had for him. And also, so this is this is something for about this taping here. Gowan also blew up backstage when he got a stiff blow to the head during a match with Sakota and Yang. He felt they were a bit stiff with him 
on purpose or they were reckless, and he let them know it backstage after the October 23rd SmackDown. Gowan had lashed out, lashed out against WWE wrestlers before for being too stiff on him in the ring. WWE wrestlers lost respect for him because of that. It also didn't help that he flaunted that he didn't have to spend time in the gym to earn his keep. His lack of gym routine also cost him points with Vince McMahon, who felt Gowan didn't even try to add any muscle mass to his slender frame to add credibility to what was an already awkward situation when wrestlers were asked to sell for him. Said one WWE wrestler, he acts like someone really, like something really special. He's like a teenager thrown into the dressing room and he's really screwing up bad. He's disrespectful and everyone's sick of it. In the Michigan indie wrestling scene, before he signed with WWE, he was nicknamed the Little Prince by other wrestlers because he felt he was acted spoiled by his wealthy mother. One source told us that Gowan had boasted to the local indie wrestlers that if WWE fired him before his contract expired, he would file a discrimination lawsuit. He said he also hated the backstage politics of WWE. Gowan hadn't been used on TV since and was, only ex was expected to be only a matter of time before WWE settled on the remaining time on his contract. Lots That's of digging. A, there's a big disparity between those two stories. Uh, yeah. One one is like, I got hurt. I wanted to go back to OBW. They said, nah, it's fine. We'll call you. I got fired. And the other one's like, <laughs> there's this guy. He's a nightmare. Uh, he didn't report to OBW. That's a weird thing. Did you notice that in the story? Yes. They said, they, they, they essentially, it sounds like WWE said, okay, after this match, we want you to go to Ohio Valley Wrestling. And for whatever reason, I would imagine Zach says, like, okay, I'm going to piece it. This is what I'm going to presume happened. Okay, let, let's hear Let's hear yeah. your, uh, yeah. After this match, they go, Zach, we want you to Ohio Valley Wrestling to improve your craft. Zach goes, oh, I'm injured, actually, because he doesn't want to go. And they're like, okay. And so he doesn't go. And so they're like, I don't know if people are seeing through that or maybe it doesn't come through that he's actually injured or what it is. But he doesn't do the stint that is expected and then ends up blowing up in his face. And he's already sounds to be unpopular. Huh? Yeah. And so, wait, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I wish, now I wish, I just didn't think he was going to measure up to much in our podcasting. So I didn't really uh, look into it. But Chris Van Vliet did a interview with him a couple months ago right and i wish i had watched it because i wonder if his story has changed at all or if there's if he's yeah. admitted to more now because i mean this is when they're talking to him here he's young still even the, the first interview we have he's still young now he's the hindsight looking back i'm sure he can look at a lot of things there i mean no, the wrestling business is not always the friendliest business in the world i think that's very clear also interesting in there that, that he talked about how he never tried to add the muscle mass and that vince didn't like that i mean that makes sense that jives with how we understand vince to be yeah 100 percent so, like, a lot of what was told in the second account, it just, like, I can check those boxes. I can, it's believable. I can, it, that I can is believe more, all yeah. of that stuff. And I can also believe that a kid as young as Zach, because what's Zach here, 21, 22? Something like that. If the, I mean, he's so young here, honestly. So, so, like, for me, it's like, he could very well be oblivious to the fact that he's causing these waves in the locker room. For sure. He could be oblivious to the fact that he didn't show up to OVW. Because like, yeah, in yeah, his mind, he could have been very clear. I'm taking a little break. When I get back, I'll go to OVW. And they were like, well, actually, we're seeing through your crap. And so you're not coming back. And, um, and you're, you're difficult to deal with backstage. And uh, like, you're not believable going up against other wrestlers. And it bothers right. the guys to do it. And there's also a thing I thought was interesting in there is that WWE thought this is going to be a mainstream media thing where like people are going to be like, 
reporters are be knocking on their door and be like, well, you have a one-legged wrestler? Really? And they're like, uh, yeah, variety. Okay. Uh, Time magazine. Like they, they seem to have these really high expectations for like that. This would be a driver of content for them, which so that, that's, uh, a, that's a huge blunder on their part. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know why they they thought this per se. I mean, the fact that they seem so set on that is very funny. I found that strange. I, like, like I get that, but there's like there's whole industries dedicated to people with disabilities who do amazing things. And right. so mainstream media doesn't have to go anywhere special to find these stories. Right. You, yeah, you watch so... you, you watch commercials for long enough and you'll get one. It's true, yeah. I mean, you, you Paralympic commercial, like, oh, well, that's incredible. A guy does that. Like, truly, I mean, that's good. I mean, like, you see it all the time. It's it's that yeah. it's an inspirational thing, which I hope that people with disabilities like that don't feel reduced to that. Um, that shows the disparity between the cultural milieu, milieu of milieu? WWE and the yeah. rest of the world. Milieu? Milieu. Milieu. And and the rest of the world where like in WWE, a one-legged wrestler is an anomaly. In the rest of the world, there's all sorts of people doing amazing things with disadvantages. Right. So it's <laughs> exactly. like it's, it's like, isn't this incredible? The world's like, I mean, yes, good for him, but also these thousand other people. Yeah, it's like actually there's like 15 ads during football where I can see that. The one thing, the, the last thing I'll end on with this story specifically. The fact that it came out the day Zach Allen was released and the fact that it has so much detail, I think to me this reads as somebody doing kind of a getting out the door hit piece on the guy a little bit too, where I think they're like, okay, we're about to release the wrestler with one leg. How do we make it look better for us? It's like, well, but on his way out the door, we feed a bunch of details and a bunch of unflattering things to a journalist who's going to, we'll be like, you can get a really good story out of this, but you need, you need to help us bury this guy uh, today because he's getting released. Right, right, right. Interesting. So, well, what does Wade Keller think of all this now? Yeah, it's a good question. I would love to did, know. Did he do the right thing? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, also, also strange to hear that uh, Zach was such a diva backstage because he seems very. You don't get that vibe from him when he comes out. I, I don't know. He just I don't, maybe it's just him doing no, it really I, good. I get it. Like I, I, I've been. I could a, see it. I've been a brash kid before. Mm. I'm a brash man now. D- Daniel Brash Pedapaw. That's right. Call him Bra- Brash, brash Bandicoot. Call me the Brasham. The brother. The Brasham bot ba- The Brasham bother. That could be good. Okay, okay so back to SmackDown. Enough with t- newspapers. Uh, Brock Lesnar is backstage with Big Show, telling him he needs to be on top of his game for their match against the Undertaker. He says, "Don't be like Zach Gowen. He's about to get released." <laughs> Didn't say that. Um, Brock's that's is a, Big that's Show. That's a great Brock Lesnar voice. By the way. Thank you. I'm working on it. Bro- uh, Big Show said that Brock better be on his top of his game because maybe Big Show will want to look uh, good with the WWE title again. It's like Big Show, no. I want to spray him with water. No, you're out of the title picture. The cat. <laughs> so, or, so, now, stop it, Big Show. Stop it. You already have a U.S. title. You'll never defend it. Fine. Whatever. The Divas title? Amazing. The U.S. title. The Divas title. Oh, yeah, they should have the Divas title back early for Zach Gowan. He could have the Divas title. <laughs> That's right. Like, Harsh. Well, well, <laughs> anyway. I just believe this hit piece, essentially. Uh, and so we, we cut back. We see that Sable and Vince are still in their box, and they're waiting for the big main events. And you know what? Before we get the main event, we get the main events of video packages here because we see some footage from back in fall 2002 when Brock Lesnar had an intense match with Hardcore Holly. Yeah, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> it ended when Brock Lesnar dropped Hardcore Holly on his neck, breaking Hardcore Holly's neck. And after we see that footage, 
We see Harker Holly in the flesh standing in front of a TV with his hands on his hips talking about how Brock broke his neck. But Brock made the mistake of not finishing the job. As if Harker Holly was like, you should have choked me to death on television. (laughs) You should have broke my neck and then stomped on my larynx. You should have spat in my face. You know what? I'm going to hang out with the Bashams. They get my vibe. They know what I'm into. (laughs) (laughs) They'll lick my belly button for me. So Holly says he's coming back to end Brock's career. And I wonder if Brock is like, okay. <laughs> Brock, watch out. A mid-carder is coming for you. Yeah. A lower mid-carder. Someone who, in a match for the European title, you're like, he's not going to win the European title, I don't think. He's probably not going to win that, I think. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, a, it's an interesting feud to set up because it's like, before Survivor Series, you got kind of like work this in. Unless the main event of Survivor Series is Hardcore Holly versus Brock Lesnar. Here's the thing that's wild about this. I know Hardcore Holly and Brock Lesnar have a match at Royal Rumble. It's October. That's January. Okay, okay. We've got some time to get through here. Oh, All man. Right. So, anyway, so this is the beginning of the Hardcore Holly push, in quotes, and question marks. And then we get a video package, one that disappointed Daniel immensely, where we pay respects... <laughs> To Michael Hegstrand, also known <laughs> That's as right. Road Warrior. It's like, Hawk. Oh no, they're never coming back. Oh man, <laughs> I'm not gonna have that. Um, and this was, a, you know, I look at this is kind of funny. This is back when wrestlers die young all the time. <laughs> Thank God for <laughs> I know oh, you're gonna have your chance. So Hawk was 46, which is crazy because uh, you know there's a fair number of guys who are in their mid 40s now, like super healthy. I mean, Brock Lesnar is about to have a match here. He's 44 currently. He's still wrestling. It doesn't. We're not really uh, on track for him to have an early demise, as far as we know, unless something horrible happens, which I hope it doesn't. So I, do, um, I do think the lifestyle yeah. choices are much different now than they were. Absolutely. Before. Well, now they're just like they're like, what if I just played with wrestling figures and then like uh, I don't know, texted Tony Khan to flirt with him, so next time I possibly get released, I can get something going. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's how you. That's how you. I mean, that's a smart business decision. That's what you should do. <laughs> if you're in one company, you should flirt with the other and see how you do for yourself and. Make that Cody money. See how you do. Uh, so the main event tonight is Brock Lesnar and Big Show against The Undertaker in a handicap match. Matt, did you like this main event? I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of Gaga, as uh, my brother would say. There's just a lot going on in terms of oh oh oh, like a little rug pulling. I loved and it. Of... I loved it. You love your you like your sports entertainment shenanigans. You're a big I fan do. of the shenanigans. I do deeply. Yeah. This is this is. This is what I, I had a major problem with the finish of WrestleMania 38. Uh, oh, yeah. Brock Roman. And I thought that there was a lot of opportunity for some really great shenanigans. And so I got it here. I came to 2003 to get my fix. What's with all the non-shenanigans? Uh, and so uh, we, we, find out, we find out that Survivor Series will be sponsored by Xbox. So that's our next pay-per-view destination here. Um, and so an interesting thing is that Vincent Sable's luxury box is lit up which none of the other luxury boxes are and they're lit up so you can easily see into it when we get a look from the hard camera side uh so that's kind of an interesting kind of dynamic of this that we're watching the match but the match is also being watched by them we can kind of see them when they pull back every now and then as the match begins and big show starts with taker so taker gets a chance to smack brock on the apron and he goes back and forth hitting brock hitting big show then he heads outside the ring he takes a breather and he grabs a chair and he gets in the ring and he threatens the guys with it and he gets himself some space then Brock tags and he pounces on Taker, even hits this nice kind of turning belly to belly slam on him. And then in comes Big Show, and uh, Taker does a bunch of strikes to bring Big Show down, like one, two, three, and he actually knocks him down. And then Brock comes in and attacks, allowing Big Show to get a choke slam on Taker. And Brock comes in to cover Taker for two. Uh, and then Dan, you mentioned earlier before we got on the air, there's a, a clothesline you wanted to mention. Has that happened yet, or when does that happen? 
Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when it happens. I just like when Taker does his jumping kind of clothesline mm. rolling thing. And I love yeah. how Brock like really jumps into it and just makes he, it look big time. Yeah, Taker always he comes off the ropes and he jumps as high as he can, kinda of like taps him on the way through. He's like as as much as possible trying to make himself into some sort of like flying object and kind of smack the guy on the way by. Works well. Uh, uh, Sarah and I took the boys to see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 this weekend. Nice. So that's what I imagine Undertaker's trying to do. Jump up and turn his own to a tiny blue ball. Don't uh, shove uh, his opponents. Of course. Gotta go fast and all that. It makes sense. Uh, so, uh, he gets the chokes on Taker. Uh, Brock comes in to cover Taker for two. Uh, and then Brock tells Big Show to go up top, seemingly for a spike pile driver, which is an interesting tag team combination to do. <laughs> and, situation. And, and, and Vince McMahon has some great mannerisms at this point where he's like, yeah. oh, why are you... In, in fairness to them, if Brock Lesnar and Big Show combined for a spike pile driver on Taker, he would be, I think that'd be it for him. I think he would, in fact, be beaten. Right. There is that. Uh, but Taker uh, counters it. He slams Big Show from the top rope, choke slam style. The Undertaker covers him for the one, two, three, and he wins. And they go off the air. Just kidding. Uh, so Undertaker wins. But no, wait, hold on a second. Because out comes Paul Heyman, who says he messed up. He said, it's my first day on the job. Oops. And uh, this match is actually two out of three falls. And uh, we, were, we lament how fair, unfair that is to Undertaker, or the commentators do, and we take a break. And we come back. Paul Heyman is now watching from the entrance. He's sitting in a uh, an office chair, spinning around. Very, very and, smug. Yeah. Uh, very happy with himself. Uh, Taker gets clothesline by Big Show out of the ring, but he manages to get uh, rid of Big Show, and then Brock tangles with Taker out there. And they fight outside some more, and then Taker sends Brock into the crowd, and the referee has apparently been counting this whole time, and Taker comes into the ring at nine, and Brock being the legal man, and outside the ring in the crowd, he gets counted out. So once again, Undertaker wins. Except, whoops! Paul Heyman says, all right, I meant to make this no count out, so there's no win there yet. Then Big Show hits Taker with a chair in the ring, so Big Show gets disqualified, and Taker wins again. Except, obviously, this match is also no disqualification, and Paul Heyman starts the match again. That's the one thing where I was like, okay, I don't need the no D. I don't need it to also be, oh, you have to hit him with a chair for us to get to that point, too. That felt like kind of belaboring this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that they should have done no count-outs, no disqualification. As a in, in one go. And here's what I thought should have happened. So this is yeah. me rebooking this match. Yeah. Is that I thought that Big Show should have come into the ring with the chair, about to swing, and then Paul Heyman... Stops Big Show at that point. Says, whoa, Big Show, you can't do that. But now you can. This match is now a no disqualification. You're good at this. You're good at this. This is a good, that's a better thing. And then also, Big Show just hauls off and hits Undertaker. What if he hit him and he pins him? That's one fall each. Right? Because it's two yeah. or three falls match, right? So now Taker could, yeah. you know, now there's one more fall. You can have it a bit longer. Right. You can have a bit of the drama. It's a better match. Good job, Daniel. Well done. Although they need to save some time for uh, the six minutes that happens after the main event ends. That's right. That's right. That was, I, I was all in for this main event until that. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm, ready. I'm, I'm turning off my phone now. Uh, on cage match, which is the, uh, the kind of the IMDB of wrestling, this match is li listed as a best two out of three falls, no disqualification, no count out, two on one handicap match. <laughs> Uh, is there any way for them to indicate that this all happens incrementally or what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they should, it should be listed um, like two on one handicap match and then no contest. Uh, <laughs> best two yeah, or three yeah, falls yeah, handicap yeah, match, yeah. no contest. Let's just go like there. You're like, what? What has happened here? Uh, and so, yes. Yeah, so the match uh, being no DQ, Taker crawls around outside the ring. He grabs his biker chain from the match yeah, at No Mercy. No DQ now. Now it's in his favor. 
people often on wrestling, they're like, oh, so disqualification, it advantages one person. You're like, it advantage both of them. Either one of them could do anything at this point. Let's do like, it. Truly anything. Uh, <laughs> and so, so Taker goes in the ring, but he slips out on an F5 before he whacks Brock with the biker chain. Then he smacks Big Show, and he covers Brock Lesnar and gets the one, two, three. And so Taker wins now for real, two falls to zero. And I would have liked another fall. Right. Paul Heyman leaves in a huff. He kicks over his office chair. His uh, plan being foiled now, as Taker said he would, even though it wasn't much of a foiling plan then. He kind of he kind of schemed his way into a plan by the end there. Uh, and we see Vince is upset in the luxury box as Taker celebrates. Uh, and the Taker goes to get back on his bike. But Big Show comes back and he rips Taker off the back of it. He tosses Taker into the ring where he smacks Taker with a biker chain. Um, and I'm watching him. like Big Show punched him with a biker chain with his right hand. I'm like, shouldn't Undertaker be dead at this point? I mean, with a knockout punch from Big Show? Yeah, but he hasn't fought Mayweather yet. So. Oh, he hasn't learned that yet. That's such a funny detail. <laughs> <laughs> um, Big Show, he choke slams and leg drops Undertaker, and then Brock takes him outside and F5s Taker to the ring post, which is always fun. Uh, I don't remember the last time he did that. So, although canonically, that should mean his knee is broken because that's, that's Ray, right, Myster- Ray Mysterio shatters. Yes, he did it to Ray Mysterio, who I think took time off. He took it to did it to Kurt Angle, who definitely took time off, and he did it to Ray. Oh, sorry, I said Ray already. He also did it to um, uh, but, 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 but. what's that? He did to Zach too. To Zach, thank you. That's what I was thinking. That diva, diva's <laughs> champion, Zach Gowan. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, so Vince gets on the mic. He says he wants to come down in person and gradually the Undertaker. And so we take a commercial break. And this is, you know, the main event has ended. And now there's like six minutes left in the show. And we still have a bunch of time left. Uh, and so Taker is laying outside the ring. And Vince is sauntering down to the ring from the uh, luxury box. And I'm like, all right, sure, this is still happening. The Taker gets to his feet. He's stumbling to the back. And Vince is there at the entrance to, to taunt him. And Vince says he's going to make sure that Taker will never be WWE champion again. And Vince asks, you know, you know, Taker, you know, you got the match. What match do you want? I know it's against Brock Lesnar, so what'll it be? And he shoves the mic in Taker's face. He's, he's lying in pain on the ramp. And it'll be at Survivor Series, but Taker says. And the match is Buried Alive, which is fun. <gasps> buried Alive matches, you know? Yeah. We'll talk, more about, we'll talk more about them when we, when we get closer to them. But I, I increasingly feel good about picking this era of SmackDown to talk about, because I got to talk about Hell in a Cell, I got to talk about Ladder Match, I got to talk about uh, Baird Live Matches, everything. Everything I could ever want to talk about. And Vince says, okay, that's fine, then Brock is going to bury you six feet under at Survivor Series. Then Undertaker specifies, it's not Brock he's facing at Survivor Series, it's Vince. Great touch. I, 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 I had a thrill in my heart at this point. I was like, this is great. <laughs> so Vince McMahon is shocked by this. The crowd chants holy ass word. And <laughs> Cole and Taz say wow. And with that big reveal that we have our first match of Survivor Series booked, our buried live match between The Undertaker and uh, Vince McMahon, uh, we go off the air. And so, Daniel, I would love to get your final thoughts on the show. Uh, and I'd love to get your rating for the show. We use the SmackDown video games of this era to denote whether or not the show is worth your time. Here, here comes the pain would mean it was bad. A sh- uh, shut your mouth would mean it would be eh. And a good show, you would say, just bring it. So, Daniel, love to get your thoughts and the rating for the show. Go for it. Yeah, so so this show was pretty good. It started out strong with a nice, like, that uh, tag team match was a nice treat. Uh, had some nice intrigue. It was, it, was, it was a relief to put a finish to the Stephanie Vince storyline. I was glad to not yes. have to deal with that. So that was just a nice obstacle removed for my viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed Paul Heyman. I, I, I just loved him all throughout doing his kind of thing of just kind of getting into people's faces. Right. And, 
sort of like whenever he was involved in a promo, even things Vince would say about him, it was like, oh yeah, that's real. The things that he would say about other wrestlers, it's like, oh yeah, that's real. Like there's a there's a realism that he brings that I really right. appreciate. So that was lots of fun. And then I I really did dig the main event. I think the main event really goes the distance for me. I I liked how they shenaniganed everything, and I like how we divert from Brock Lesnar for Undertaker, and we give him another foil that's kind of new and fresh. We go somewhere else, so there we are. Uh, so, so I'm giving this a Just Bring It. There you go, Just Bring It. You know, I, I feel similarly. There's a lot of different stuff in the show. I liked Paul Heyman's return. I, I like the energy it brought it. I like the Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit mini feud. That's exciting. Two cools around. That's something. Something pretty different. Um, Zach Gowan is gone. There's a lot to be happy about. <laughs> that's right. So I say, just bring it. Just bring it. And so that brings us to the end of this show. Next week's show I'll be covering is the October 30th, 2003 episode of SmackDown. And would you be able to believe that it is a Halloween episode of SmackDown? Wow. We're back Pretty at exciting. it again. A full, a full cycle around the sun. That's it, man. Last we go. time we had a Halloween episode. This, we're on the, the first anniversary of the John Cena rap gimmick, you would That's say. That's right. Wow. So... It doesn't yeah. feel that long. This is crazy. I know. It's wild, especially because it's been more than that many episodes that we did, because we do every SmackDown, it's 52 of them, and all the pay-per-views, so it's been like 60 weeks almost. Not quite. Yeah, and we, and we you you kind of do one thing a week, right? Yeah. Wow, it's more than a year since we were talking about that stuff? Oh, yeah, man. It's been a while. Go back and listen to it. There's lots of good stuff to think about. Lots of good stuff. Holy Toledo. Uh, I know. So uh, We've provided yeah. the internet with so much of our voices. I know. We've given them everything. Uh, so, you know what? If you want more of us, you can go to uh, Twitter, SmackDown 6 Pod on there, or Instagram, we're SmackDown 6 on there. You can like us uh, there. You can, uh, you know, like us, you, you follow us there. Uh, you can uh, you can give us a good review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can go to YouTube and search for Punch Board Party and watch all the episodes that Daniel has done there uh, of uh, board games, which is an important thing to do. My, my beautiful wife is starting to be on the channel. Hey, oh. If you want to see a beautiful woman, YouTube. Bunch more party. That's where you're going to see it. It's going to happen there. Uh, so, Daniel, thanks for being with me, buddy. I much appreciate it. Thanks for it. having me. I love it. I love you. I love this. I love no. you. Uh, folks, thank you so much for joining us for the Smash 6 podcast. Uh, just remember, don't be a diva. Come on, man. Put in the work. Go to Ohio Valley Wrestling. We'll see you next time.